God bless you and welcome to Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast. We appreciate and welcome all of you, our listeners around the world. Stay tuned to hear an exciting word from pastor teacher, Dr. James Sutton. Praise God. Please mute your phone. Please mute your phone. Amen. So we've been talking about Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. I mean, 10, 9, 10, 11, where Paul breaks off from the beauty of chapter 8 that we all love. And he goes into now explaining what happened between the Jew and Gentile, how God through being apostle to the Gentiles, Paul has to remember and his Jewish heritage. And he would pray that even if he could lose his salvation, that they would accept Jesus and get saved, that they would accept the gospel presentation, that they will accept the way God has allowed a man to be reconciled back to him through the Jewish nation, sending the Savior through the lineage of David as promised in the Old Testament. But as we know, as we've read the Old Testament, they missed it. They missed it bad. And because they missed it bad, because they turned their back on God, because they were disobedient, God gave them up. But God didn't forget about them because the one thing God can't do, just because things go wrong, if he makes an eternal promise to a nation, God cannot go back on that promise. So God promised that Abraham will have these children, which are seeds. He promised that the king, that the lineage of the Messiah would come through David. So God always preserved the remnant. As we see earlier in chapter 11, when Elijah cried out against the people of Israel, when he was running from them, he felt all alone and he cried out to God and say, look, they've killed all your prophets. They killed all your wise men. They, they tore down your altars. They've rejected my message. And God, what are you going to do about it? And, and that's why I was talking earlier to some of you about the frustration when we believe something's broken. See, when it doesn't go the way we expect it to go, you think because you've been called by God that, oh, I've been called by God and I'm going to go out and do great things and everything is going to be okay. But it is going to be okay, but it's going to be from God's point of view. And there we have the problem. God is not obligated to make you feel good or explain how he wants to bring about his glory. And the sooner you get that in your head, the sooner you understand he is God and God alone. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. And if he wants to bring about the glory, which we, we saw in 10 and 11, and nine, that he builds pots for dishonor and pots for honor and that he's a potter. And if he chooses to bring about, show his power through putting wrath down on somebody else for disobedience and then through his mercy and grace, show you grace and mercy, the same people who deserve the wrath, he decides to show you mercy and grace. We would have a problem with that because we said God would be unfair. See, grace, there's a couple levels of grace and, and I'm just gonna talk about two of them. One is the natural grace. That's the grace we all get. We breathe, we wake up. For those who wake up, we wake up, we breathe, we move, and we do. That's natural grace. All human beings have that. But 
Then there's this grace that's called the grace of the elect. They are chosen by God for, for no apparent reason other than God wants to choose them in a particular time period to be the 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. The only thing they haven't done is go full-blown into idol worship, and God says, I'm going to use him, I'm going to use her, I'm going to use him, I'm going to use her, and he picks the people that he's going to use, and he empowers those people to endure the punishment of the time. Even now, we have men and women of God that has to endure even the coronavirus, and our job is to keep preaching even if it takes our life. So God elects, as we see, those who he's going to show this special grace and mercy to and those he's going to rightfully punish with his wrath. Now, we don't want to spend not a one minute to decide what side are we on. The fact that you're still here means that you're probably on the favorable side of not receiving his wrath. So Paul is trying to explain to the Jews who behind Paul's preaching may think that God has forgotten about them, that God's promises have have. Have they missed it? But they didn't miss it. God wanted to reconcile everyone back unto the world. So before we get started, let, let me prove this out by scripture, because scripture proves scripture. Uh, go to uh, go to 2 Corinthians 5:17. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so think about this. I'm going to change a little bit. If anyone is saved in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Then it says, now, now, now watch the purpose. All this, all that was done to bring you to salvation, all that was done by Jesus on the cross was for one purpose. It wasn't to give you a new house. It wasn't to make you feel good. It wasn't to, 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 to give you the, the, the comforts of life. It says all this is from God, who through Christ, through Christ's salvation that was offered on the cross, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is he saying? He's saying the reason all this has happened no matter what side of the fence that you're on, it's for one purpose. It's to reconcile the world back up to himself, Jew or Gentile, mankind as a whole, Jew or Gentile. He selected the Jews to carry the seed. He selected the Jews to be the first light. He selected the Jews to be the branches from the root. But he, through their obedience, he chopped them off. He separated them. He pushed them aside. But because he pushed them aside, we have a chance at the gospel. So let's go back to Romans. And Sister Stacy, start at uh, verse 11. Romans 11 and 11. Romans 11 and 11. <clears throat> so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? My, my what? Might fall. Did they stumble in order they might fall? Or you could say, did God allow them to stumble that they might fail? And it says what? By no means. Rather, through their trespasses, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So now think about this. And, and I want you to think about this in a, in a story I'm going to tell right quick. 
When I was playing football, and I wasn't a starter at the time, I would go to practice like everybody else. There was a bunch of us on the bench, right? And we would go to practice. We would run the sprints. We would do the weightlifting. And we were waiting for our turn to play. Some people never got a turn to play. But you always prepared yourself for that day that the coach would look down the bench and call your number out and say, come on. Well, did the starters do what they do to, to, to play first string? Yes, they did. But sometimes there was an injury. And when there was an injury, then the person on the bench would get a call. So by their injury, I didn't want them to get injured. I didn't want anybody to get hurt so I would play. But because of their misfortune, I have fortune. And what I started to realize and think about this as I was going through this, behind every, every person's misfortune, that is somebody's fortune. And what we, the way we say it is, another man's trash is what? Another man's treasure. So when there's a misfortune to be observed, there's a fortune to be manifested. It may be visible, it may be invisible, but trust me, every time there's a misfortune, let's go with the coronavirus, there's a blessing from it. What is the blessing that I do see? People are turning to God. People are praying more. We're reading all of Psalms. There are things that we're doing that's bringing us closer to our creator. So what I would say is one of the purposes I see in the pandemic of the world, God is trying to get the world to pay attention to him. So did he do this that the world may fail? No. It's through this that some will come to Christ. Would I have done it that way? Of course not. Would I have sent a pandemic to get the people to turn? No, what we would want to do is turn them through lollipops and, and, and cakes and candy. But that never works. We want to tell them how much money they can make coming to Christ. But as we see, that never works because that doesn't make Christians. That makes spiritual diabetes for most for, for, for the children of God. And what happens when times like this come, the suffering comes, they can't handle it because they were brought up on the candy and the cake, which is false. God wants to reconcile the world back to him so that the people of God, that for those who would believe, will have a relationship with him. And again, sometimes it seems unfair. But if God's total purpose is to reconcile those who would believe back to him, he loves you enough to make it extremely important, extremely focused that somehow or another you're going to turn to him. If it takes a pandemic and he wants to subject you to his love through the pandemic, he will do that. God has truly shown me an extraordinary amount of his love due to me slowing down even the more and seeing who he really is. I appreciate nature now because now we must go into nature with our faces covered. So I appreciate the sun on my, on my bare face because now I might have to wear a mask in every public situation that I go in. Where there was a time in the good old days where we didn't have to do that. We have to be, be, we can't even hug each other. But that's a small thing to give up for us to be closer to God. God said, y'all been hugging each other too long. Y'all need to come hug on me. Amen. All right. Go to verse uh, 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their, if their failure means riches for Gentiles, 
How much more would their full inclusion mean? So Paul is now coming full circle saying there was a purpose for you guys to fail. Back in, up in chapter 11, it said it gave them the spirit of sleep. A a uh, because they were disobedient, God let the elect continue to preach, but he gave the Jewish nation as a whole a spirit of slumber, and their rejection made you get included. You see how what I mean? By them rejecting God, which was a sin, God gave you grace. What scripture says that? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So by their rejection, their sin, their trespass, which is sin, God turned to the Gentile nation. And through his grace and mercy, you have been saved. That's why he said he chose you. You didn't choose him. Because he turned from them to you that you might be saved. And what you have to do is not do the rituals of the Jewish nation that can never save them, that was opposed to drive them to God. You believe by faith in what happened at the cross, and now you're called the body of Christ. The light is now with you. And just like they were supposed to show us the light, guess what? That responsibility, that accountability, that level of grace and mercy that you are accounted for because of the blood, by the blood, you were, you were uh, justified and redeemed in his resurrection. You are justified. So you are responsible to let the world know, Jew and Gentile alike, and especially the Jews, if you have any Jewish friends, that the Savior hasn't forgot about them. See, you don't necessarily need to say it was wrong. What you need is remind them that God still has a plan for them, that the promise that God had promised Abraham still is going to come forth. But the only way it's going to come forth is for them to believe in Jesus. That all their temple worship, everything they did was a shadow of God to come. It was not the reality, it was the shadow. And just like most of us, we get caught up in the religion and not in the real. Jesus was the reality of every ritual they did. Because even in John, when Jesus said, Come unto me all who thirst, believe upon me, as the scripture has said, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, that was after a feast of which water and wine and everything was given. And God says, there's a deeper thing that you need other than physical food. Even though the feast has happened, the feast is really me. You should dine on me. And then this word riches. The riches that they talk about are the riches of your sanctification, the riches of your salvation. What God has done in you that is so rich and so awesome that it's considered one of the riches of God. Don't you know that your salvation is valuable? Your sanctification is precious. Your glorification yet to come is stupendous. This is all that God is doing in you. Now, no matter what you do, now that, I want to tell you this, no matter what you do, you save. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm, uh, what, what about, let's not use extreme people, let's just use this. Save people stumble. As we see in Galatians 6 and 1, it tells us to restore such a one. So if we just restore the sinners that come along, then what we need to do is understand that saints still fall. Saints still make mistakes. Saints still sin. But saints are not sinners. Meaning that we don't continue to practice in sin that we find out about that we know that we shouldn't do. And we repent. And that's what God has given us, another gift of repentance to restore right relationship that we may hear God and follow his instructions. Okay? 
So we have a situation here where the fall of the Jewish nation allowed the Gentile nation to be selected and elected to receive the grace and the mercies of God and salvation. Okay? And he's saying, if God took what was the Jews' uh, riches and gave them to a people who are not his people, how much more rich and magnanimous and great is God that he would take a, the rejected people that rejected him now and bring them back? See, it comes, it goes in that circle. When you reject God, the greatest thing that happens is when God decides to show grace and mercy to those who rejected him. That's you. That's me. That's everybody that comes to Christ. We rejected God because the Bible teaches us no one searches after God. No one understands. This is it all in Romans. There is none righteous. No, not one. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, there is no one that seeks after God. No one understands. That's in the earlier chapters of Romans. And since no one understands, it has to be an act of God's grace and mercy that he shows upon those whom he chooses. And you should thank God if you saved and sanctified and full of the Holy Ghost that God chose you. You didn't choose him. You responded to the love, the call of a God that loves the people that even rejected him. The story of Hosea marrying that bride, Gomer, is a story of God telling Hosea, you still got to marry this prostitute. You still got to deal with her. The story of Jonah, you still have to deal with these people who, are, who have sinned against you, has sinned against me, and I want you to go preach the gospel to them and save them. And so now the responsibility is on us. That we love God enough that we are willing to show love to people who don't love God. And it starts by learning how to love each other. Now, now watch this. You can't really equip yourself to go out and really give somebody the gospel to you practice on loving the people in the house of God. When real talked about the real love this weekend, that real love is a sanctifying, as I always say, sanctifying, sacrificial love to the point that God loves everyone enough that he sent his son to die for him. So they're not rejecting religion. They're not rejecting church. They're rejecting the lover of their soul. And God has given them grace to continue to call them and give them the choice whether to receive him or not. Whether to accept his love. When you reject Christ, when you get all these other religions that reject Christ, they're not rejecting uh, uh, the, 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 the ills of Christianity throughout history. They may say that but they're really rejected what God has given us to have a reconciliation back to him. We have to know God gave Jesus the son. He gave him all power in his hand because he was obedient until the end. He was mission focused. And he said, greater works than these shall you do. Not in actual works of miracles, but in scope of the greatest miracle of all is the ability to raise a sin-sick soul. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, that once you hear the gospel, you take somebody who is, is, is damned and headed for eternal damnation, and through the gospel and God opening their eyes, because faith come by hearing, and hearing come by the word of God, God is able to open their eyes, and now they go from eternal damnation to eternal salvation. And what he's saying in this, in this chapter is he's trying to wrap it up and tell the Jews, look how great God is. 
even though you rejected him for, for thousands of years, even killed the Messiah, your Messiah, God has a plan through the church to bring you back in the natural branches. Go ahead, read. Verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnified my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. So his, he's saying the reason why I've been selected is because I'm a Jew and I magnify my ministry. Here we go again in order to make the chosen of God jealous. Not so much jealous and anger, but that's the normal reaction. When God blesses somebody else, I, you know, we know what to say, but I, I can feel some people get, be hating when God bless somebody else. Because what you'll do is, again, you'll point to your list of the things you did. You'll do like the rich young ruler. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And so why are you blessing them in that way when I want the same thing? Well, your problem is you coveting what God has given them. One of the commandments is thou shall not covet anything that somebody else does. When you look when God blesses somebody and you've been doing the same thing, don't covet. Praise God for it. Give God some glory that he would show special favor in somebody else's life other than your own. So that God may, if he chooses, bless you even the more. And God tests you when he blesses somebody else and you go to your checkbox and you check off this, you check off that. See, that's what the Israelites did. We the children of Israel. We got the promise of Abraham and, and so on and so forth. And King David is our father. And I'm from the Paul. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin and all this stuff, all that pedigree stuff. And God says, when it comes to me, I created the Gentile and the Jew. Your pedigree don't mean nothing to me. Your church affiliation to the denomination doesn't mean anything to God. What, what, what is important to God is, do you have the heart of God that you are willing to love like God, that you are willing to sacrifice like God, and give yourself to God for the benefit of others? God said, you bless other people, I'll bless you. He even tells you that in the Bible how much that you're valuable to him. Those who believe are so valuable to him. He says, I take care of you better than I take care of the lilies and the birds and the bees in the field. But you have to uh, 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 get to the point where that's part of your life. That you are in the blessing business. And the natural reaction of God is bless those who bless. You don't have to ask for it. It happens. Trust me. I am a witness of the blessing of God when you are on your assignment that God has given you, whatever that may be. Because when God gives you an assignment, it's about blessing. It's not about cursing. It's not about manipulating. It's about blessing somebody. Even if it's correction, we correct to bless. We don't correct to, to make a person necessarily do what we want. It's in loving and kindness. And you know, the Bible says in Corinthians that if we don't have this love, this sacrificial love, that we don't have anything. So God is saying, I had a sacrificial love for the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. I gave my son to him. Even though Gentiles, you were not the first pick, I allowed them to fall, keeping the remnant of them alive so I can fulfill my promise with them. But now I'm gonna fulfill my, my overall promise to the world and provide a way that the world may be reconciled back to God through Jesus. And like he said, no one can come to the Father unless through and by him. Go ahead. And thus save some of them. He said just some. Now, we got the passage where it says that 
that the Gentiles will come in and all the nation of Israel shall be saved. And then we got in Revelation where it talks about the 144,000. So you have to remember when God says all, in these situations, he means all that will believe. If you're a non-believer, you're not going to be saved. I mean, that, that's just common sense. You don't have to be a, a spiritual guru to understand that. So when he means all, he still means all the remnant of the Jewish nation that will accept him and they will be saved. Just like in the Gentile nation, all the Gentiles won't be saved. Only those who will believe and accept Jesus will be saved. Go ahead. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what Will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So think about what he just said. If read that again. If they're what what verse is that? Verse 15. Verse 15. Read that again. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So in other words, they're dead, they're asleep, they can't see God, but if they believe. What does that mean? That means God is such a loving God that he will allow back in those who rejected him. And see, that's the good thing about God. See, this is what I want to tell you. God loves you enough that you can, you, you can reject him, but guess what? God may have a plan to bring you back later. And, that's, and, and I'm a product of that in a way. Just like most people of my culture, I was exposed to church at a young age. I got baptized at a young age. But there was a rejection of God and God's principles and ways. But God kept his promise to the women and the men that prayed for me and brought me back in later, greater than I would have been if I accepted him then. That's how God is. So when you and your children that are going away and you've had, now you've planted the seed, but you don't see no growth from the seed, Trust me, there's only one thing that can't happen. God can't lie, and he said his word will not come back void, and that's why we teach Bible study, because I want to equip you to have the word that you can give to somebody else that eventually, down the line, sometime or another, that word is going to come back and produce a harvest. But you have to trust God. So he's saying, look, it, it's working out the way God planned it, not the way Jew, the Jews wanted it, but the way God planned it. All right, go ahead. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. So he's saying, if the dough, so just think about this. What he's saying is, if the Jews were the first fruit, then everything else that came from them is holy. Okay? Everything from them, the Jewish nation is a holy nation. It doesn't mean that they're a right nation. It doesn't mean they don't sin. What it means is when God elected them, you cannot undo his election. Their sin could, see, that's how great God is. Even sin itself can't do undo the promises of God. Because he says he gives gifts and promises without repentance. Meaning, he doesn't go back on what he promised in eternity because you sin. What he did was delay it, modify it. But as long as he kept a remnant alive, his elected, the 7,000, throughout history, he, that promise that he made to Abraham would eventually come true, which leads to Jesus. He kept the house of David alive. And when you read Kings, they had their problems, they had their errors, they had bad kings, but he kept enough of the lineage alive that Jesus came through. So we are all part of a lineage of scoundrels. But when God has promised to, 
to uh, uh, Abraham that he would have the seed and promise to Eve that she, through her seed, that there would come this Messiah that would step on the head of Satan. God had to keep his eternal promise. And everybody, when, we, when God gave his promise to them, they thought it was going to happen in their time. That's, that's a natural man. But, but when God makes a promise, it could be to your posterity working through you, but not to you. I'm going to say it again. When God makes a promise, it could be to your posterity, not to you, but working through you. Amen. I pray that through me, that my kids, my grandkids, and my great-grandkids will know the Lord at a, and be better than me than I was when I didn't know the Lord. Regardless of what I do, I understand there's a, a lineage, a posterity that can be transferred down in the sense of they will get a better start than I did. And that plays off into the natural. My kids are much further economically, socially, and all of that than I was because that's what we planned. At their age, they're doing stuff that I was doing at 30. But because they were trained up, and the Bible tells us when we train up our child, when we do right by our child, when we show child, the child the love of God and bring them up in the ammunition of the Lord, that they will return. We all go our way, but thank God when the right seed is planted, we'll come back. Go ahead. Reverse it. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So if the root is holy, this so are the branches. Go ahead. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So what so say, Pastor, what is he talking about now? He's talking about trees and and, and roots and shoots. And, okay. God is the root. The Jewish nation was the tree that grew and it grew branches. The 12 tribes would be considered the branches. God cut the nation off and set them aside. The tree and the root still stands. And what God's saying, you were not attached to the root. You weren't. The Gentiles, you were not attached to the root, but you were grafted in to the nourishment of the root through Jesus Christ. So if anybody know anything about gardening, you could take a, 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 a shoot of a plant and actually graft it into another plant and you won't be able to tell the difference of the grafted shoot or the original plant because what happens, the what is grafted in takes on the characteristics of what's in the root. You should be taking on the characteristics of God through Jesus Christ. You should be taken on because you've been grafted in. You're no worse or you're no better. And that's what you got to think. You're no better because you've been grafted in. What you have to do is not get haughty about it. Not get arrogant about it. Realize it was an act of his mercy that he grabbed. He grafted you in. And it's ain't nothing about you grafting in yourself. Okay? He grafted you in. He attached you to the root. Okay? Through his grace and mercy. Go ahead. Do not be arrogant toward the See? Do not be arrogant. Who are the branches? Who are the branches? Who are the branches? The Jews. Don't get arrogant towards the original branches because it seems as if they've been cast aside. Okay? Don't you get arrogant at, at another church because your church is doing well. Or it seems to be doing well. Don't get arrogant. Don't get prideful. 
Don't get haughty. Don't do that. Because you don't know if your haughtiness of sin will bring about their glory. And God will take what's due for you and give to them to show you he ain't planning and he'll punish you. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Do not get arrogant. That's the pride of life. Don't get prideful because God chose you now. Be humbled. Be thankful. Exhort. Pray, sing psalms. Be nice to each other because it's only by the grace of God that you do anything. Go ahead. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the rules. See, there you go. If you if you make that vital, <laughs> if you make that vital mistake and get prideful, just remember what? Remember, it is not you who support the roots, but the roots that support you. Now y'all need to underline that. So when, so, so when somebody gets arrogant with you at church and all that stuff and talk about this, that, and the other and, and all prideful, remind them it's the root of Jesus that supports you. You don't support Jesus. Walking truth is a root that's been grafted in. Jesus is our root. There's no importance to us unless we attach to the root. There no, you have no importance unless you attach to the root. And as a body of believers, we, the church, are attached to the root. Apart from the root, we have nothing, we are nothing, and we are hell-bound. Okay? As individuals, as a church, as a body of believers that worship together, and as a church as a whole. The church is attached to the root. Just like the bride is attached to the groomsmen. Two become one. Go ahead. Then you will say... Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. <clears throat> Hold on, stop. They were broken off what? Because of their unbelief. You are, the world is broken off because of its unbelief. Don Lemon said something the other day that I didn't see nobody really talk about, and I saw it. Don Lemon's on CNN said that, you know, it's all right to believe in Jesus, and there's people who believe in Jesus, but you know Jesus wasn't a perfect man. Everybody knows that he said everybody knows that Jesus wasn't a perfect man. That's blasphemy. But nobody said anything. But if he just said Allah or Muhammad wasn't perfect, he'd be scared to open his mail. It's funny how we allow our Lord, our Savior, our everything to be blasphemed. But then again, the Bible explains that because of our behavior and our disbelief and our disobedience, the Gentiles, which he would be one of them, blaspheme the name of God. So I can't really blame him. He, it is, he is responsible for what he said, but maybe it's because of he ran into some, some so-called believers that has displayed Christ, and he said, well, if they follow Christ, the way they act, the way they do, Jesus couldn't have been perfect. Okay? So be mindful. People are watching you. Go ahead. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So you stand fast. Your strength, your foundation is in faith. Now you say, well, Pastor, faith in what? And y'all already know what I'm going to say. Faith in Jesus and what he did in Calvary. That's what you have faith in. You don't have faith in your faith. You don't have faith in me. You don't have faith in each other. You have faith in the root, which is Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Go ahead. So do not become proud, but fear. 
For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Know then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. So the secret is for us to continue in faith. And in what verse you want again? So they'll know. Um, verse 22. You just read 22? Yes. So if, if, if our position is we come in faith and then our, our objective is to what? Show kindness. Because we understand that we're grafted in, because we know we didn't earn it, because we know that there's no religious activity that puts us in the right relationship with God, only the shed blood of Jesus and his resurrection and us believing that, that put, and we believe that by faith, and then we act out that faith and kindness towards someone else. There should not be a mean Christian. That should be an oxymoron. Because our position is always kindness because we're humbled by what God has done for us. We're always humbled by what God has done for us. Go ahead. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Otherwise, you too will be separated. Now, for us, it doesn't mean you're not going to be saved. What it means is that you won't be in right relationship and that the sin of being unkind will clog your ears and God is talking and you'll miss them. So you need to repent so you can get back in the game. Some of you need to repent right now so you can get back in the game. And I know, and you hate to say that. You, you don't want to even come to God and say, I was wrong. You want to point to somebody else and say they was wrong. But think about this. If what they did to you is so wrong, then could God be testing your ability to forgive? Just something to think about. And if you don't forgive and show the kindness of forgiveness, now they already cut off and now you cut yourself off and which one is actually worse? I think you're worse because you know better. You know better. And I know that's a hard mental ascent, uh, ascent and a hard, because this is spiritual. This is not carnal. We talk, about, we talk about relinquishing our will to what the Bible says, that our job is to show this kindness. And it, yes to each other, but also to our enemy. Okay? Also to our enemies. Go ahead. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. Mm -hmm. For God has the power to graft them in again. See, there you go. What's the key word in that verse? Again. So God has the power, even though he rejects some, and you might see people reject it. Don't get too arrogant. Because God has the power to draft them in again. You came in last and you were made first. And now you are first and he's going to bring them in last. Because God has that kind of power. Okay? God has that kind of power to graft in those who reject him, which is everybody. What verse? Okay, go ahead. Verse 24. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree mm -hmm. and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. So he's talking about, again, you were a wild olive branch and you were cut off. God cut you off of it and cultivated you into his root. Go ahead. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? 
Now you got to catch that. God said he took you who rejected him from birth because you had no relationship with him. He chopped you off of the tree of a wild olive branch and brought you in and grafted you. Now he's saying, how great is my power of forgiveness that I would take the what what I who I chose, who disobeyed me, who disrespected me, who rejected me, who tore down my altars and killed my prophets when I decide to reach back and get them and bring them back in. Wow. That's how good God's forgiveness is. See, when God decided to make a promise to Abraham, it surpassed their sin. It surpassed whatever they did because God can't lie. And just like God can't lie to the Jews, he won't lie to you. And you say, well, what is our promises? He said that you have all the promises of God in his riches and glory in the heavenlies. Yours is not a land contract. Yours is a spiritual contract that you have the Holy Spirit living in you that you can tap into to see the beauty of God's forgiveness and be willing to show that to somebody else. The riches are, being, are you being conformed into his image. That's the richness of God. His forgiveness, his mercy, his grace is all wrapped up in you. And you have to make a decision from day to day to exercise what has been doing to you for others. And we always know at Walking Truth, the more we pour out of what is in us that's God, the more God is willing to pour in us. There's no reason for you to sit on such a great salvation. If God has been that good to you, why aren't you being good to others? I'm not talking about the ones you like. Of course, you're going to be good to them. Even the Bible says that what is it to be kind to somebody who's kind to you? We all do that. Even the heathens do that. But it's that thing that God does that we see in this, that God takes two people, one rejected at birth, one rejected in life over time, and he takes both people and grafts them back in to be his people. He's going to call a people, which is us, who are not his people, his people. He's going to do that, and he's going to be gracious and merciful to us to bring that to pass. Go ahead. Verse 25. Mm -hmm. Let you be wise in your own sight. I don't <coughs> want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And it is a mystery. God's grace and mercy is, is like not fair in our language. We all deserve punishment. Some deserve a little bit more. And then God decides to give somebody grace that we know in our mind in our imagination, the mystery of his grace and mercy, that he extends grace to those who reject him the most. Even the story of the woman who, 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 who poured uh, oil over him, he told the Pharisee, since I've been here, you didn't, you didn't even wash my feet. But this lady, since I've been here, has been pouring oil over me. And he explained to them, one that has been forgiven much, loves much. So I know y'all super saints. Y'all ain't did nothing. So y'all ain't got no reason to love. But I did enough. And God has graced me and blessed me and humbled me and done all that I have that I am for me. And, 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 it, and, and, and I've been forgiven much. Like I said, I can't say nothing about some of you. I've been forgiven much. So I have to love much. That's all God requires of you saints. 
You need to love at the level of your understanding of your forgiveness. I'm going to say that again. You need to love at the understanding of your level of forgiveness. If you think you've been okay, then you won't love much because you've been okay. Even Jesus said, the, the, the well don't need a physician. The sick do. And if you never claim to be spiritually sick, that you always been okay because you went to church since you was 12 and you had a couple of uh, deacons and, and, and mothers and all these people, realize this, your lineage, just like the Jewish lineage, doesn't mean anything to God. You can't go to God talking about your daddy was a deacon. You got to go to God with what you've done and, you can't, and, and coming to him with that is vain genealogy. And even Paul understood that. He said, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. But it's nothing compared to the grace and the mercy of God. Okay, go ahead, read. We're almost done. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. A partial hardening. So the remnant wouldn't be hard. Go ahead. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So God, see how gracious God is to you guys? He said, until all that going to believe, going to come in, I'm going to let them stay asleep. I'm going to let the remnant I'm going to save over there stay asleep. Because through you coming in, it's going to drive them to me. The law could drive them to God. But just maybe the jealousy of you coming in and seeing the favor in your life spiritually that they may say, hey, that was our Messiah. Maybe we need to come in that way too. So your actions, your behavior, your verbiage, your love will bring people in to Christ and the teaching of his word. Go ahead. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. Now remember, put a little air quotes behind that. Not all as in all, all that will believe. Don't think God gonna allow some unbelievers into heaven. That ain't gonna happen. Okay? That ain't gonna happen. Go ahead. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be... No, you're using 28. 20, where you at? 26. And in this okay, place, go ahead. The deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Who's going to take away their sins? God. Did he say they're going to do something to get their sins taken away? No. He's going to fulfill the promise that he promised Abraham, that he's going to take away their sin. Go ahead. As regards the gospel... They are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So that's basically what I've been saying. As regards to the gospel, they hate it. But as regards to the elected people, their forefathers, Abraham, they are beloved. God never stopped loving Israel. No matter what Israel done, God say, I made a promise and I'm going to keep it. So if God is keeping the promise to Israel who rejected him, how much more will he keep the promises that he made to you, the church, his bride? You are his body. The body, the Bible says a man loves his own body. And God loves you. Go ahead. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order 
that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So, so you gotta, you gotta process that. You need to underline all of that. You gotta process that. <clears throat> He's saying they were disobedient, and that's how you receive mercy. You didn't receive mercy and grace because you were good. You received grace and mercy because they were disobedient. And now that you are obedient, they, being disobedient, will receive the grace and mercy. And that's a, that's a deep thing to think about. Okay, go ahead. What verse? 32. 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience. So God has consigned how many? All. All except for me. All. No, all. He has consigned all. You need to underline that passage and show it to somebody. God has pointed out, has consigned, has given, has decided that all have been what? Disobedient. Have been disobedient. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us, Jew and Gentile alike, have been disobedient. Next. That he may have mercy on all. That he may have mercy on who? All. Not just the Jews. All. Just the Gentiles. All. All. He's willing and able and powerful enough to have mercy on all that will come to him and believe upon his son. That's how loving he is. So no matter what you do, saints, no matter how far your kids may be, just remember and hold on to hope that God has the power to bring them in and forgive them all, meaning all of their sins, all of their trespasses. And what you have to do as a saint of God, when God decides to forgive that person that you know that has done wrong, then your job is to forgive them too. Because if you don't forgive them, knowing what they've done, then what you've done is disconnect yourself, as he said. You done got prideful because what you're doing is looking at why would God save him? Look at what he did. Look at what she did. Look at her life. Look what she cousin used to. Look what she used to be. Look what he used to be with your prideful self. But then God is saying, you missed it because you should be glorified that I have enough power to save anybody. And I can save a wretch like you and I can save wretches that you think are worse than you. So don't get too arrogant in your salvation. Be humble that God can save anybody through Jesus. Go ahead. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom <clears throat> and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, you guys can come on back. Come on back. You can unmute your phones. I'm going to ask you. When did the doxology begin? And what verse? At verse what? Who said that? Sister Curlin, you got it. You got it. That's 100 points right there. That's when the doxology began. Think about it. He said, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom. See, all this had led up to the point where Paul just, just figured out, oh my God, 
how great God is, how awesome God is, how wise is God. His riches are so magnificent that he has figured out a way to bring everybody that would believe back unto him. Read that again, Sister Stacy. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. How inscrutable. You can't judge God's ways. No matter what God does, don't you sit back and judge and think that God is failing. Uh, Sister Jackie, that's all I was talking about. There, doubt means that you think something's wrong and you'll get anxious because you think God need to fix nothing. God don't need to fix nothing. He in control. It's you that get to get along that need to understand his ways and not your ways and understand it fully. Understand it fully. That, that, that you can't you can't come behind and second-guess God and say, oh, God, you must have made a mistake, and when are you going to fix it? God don't make no mistakes. God don't make no mistakes. Go ahead. Uh, why would it be, or can it also be, 22, where it says, no sense of kindness and the sovereignty, severity, sovereignty of God? Mm, no. No, this didn't start at 22. Sorry. A doxology is more than just one, 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 uh, one sentence. A doxology is, remember what you read, it's a, it's a liturgy. Remember what Mother Ghost said? So you have this flows. It's actually separate from everything else that's been said. He, he breaks off into this praise of God that's separate from everything else he said. And it's a continuous, not just one sentence. It's a it's a, a compilation of sentence behind sentence behind sentence to say basically one thing in an eloquent way that how rich is the grace of God. And that is a good doxology to remember. When you're feeling low, when you're feeling defeated, when you're feeling that the, 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 the things are going wrong in the world, read that doxology. Read it and meditate on it. So that's what I want you to do now. I want you to meditate on that doxology for the rest of the week. Of course, continue to read your Psalms. But I want you guys to meditate on that. And uh, we're going to talk about it again on Sunday. I'm going to preach on that on Sunday. But I want you to get it in your spirit that this thing, I, I, I love the word riches. Because everybody want to be rich. In some way or another, everybody want to be. We, we understand what rich is. But God means it in a way that's bigger than what we can even imagine. More than what we can ask, think, or imagine. He can do through us. Now think about this. The power's in us to bring forth the riches and the glory of God. He chose you, Sister Jackie, Sister Joyce, Mother Golson, Vera, uh, Eartha, guests on the line. He chose you to pour in his riches that you may pour out his riches to other people and show how rich your God is. You are a vessel. You are a money bag full of gold that God say, the more you give away, the more I'll give to you. Hello, this is Pastor Jay with Walking Truth Radio Podcast and Senior Pastor of Walking Truth Christian Fellowship Church. I want to thank you today for tuning in, and I want to praise you for praying for this ministry. We are growing by leaps and bounds. 
If you would like to support this ministry and give a donation, look in the description. We have Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. But most importantly, we need your prayers. So I just want to thank you again for coming along on this journey, and we will see you on the other side.